Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Today is an interview show because I'm concerned that so many people don't know what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven about 33 AD. So we're going to go uh, century by century by century. We're going to sum up church history in about a half an hour right now. Don't go to sleep. This is interesting stuff. <laughs> so I want to introduce to you Peter Kapsner. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Tom. Peter is a professor of practical theology at the University of Northwestern. He knows lots about church history. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Peter what happened in the first century, what happened in the second century, third century, etc. And we're going to jump into this and I, it'll help you uh, put everything together. So Peter, before we do though, um, can you quickly tell us how did you come to know Christ? Yeah, that's a good question, Tom. I, uh, I think I was about six years old and my father, who had grown up in sort of a Midwestern German community town, Catholic town, he. Uh, went to some sort of conference uh, back in about 70, 1976, came home that day an utterly changed person because mm -hmm. he had given his life to Christ at this conference. And in the best way that he could, as a father to a six-year-old, he kneeled and knelt me down by the side of our bed in our guest bedroom and explained the gospel again in the best way that he could and asked me if I wanted to invite Jesus into my heart. And yeah, I look back, Tom, and I think, I was kind of following my dad's lead in this deal. And yet, there was a supernatural interchange that I, when I think back and reflect back upon in those moments, even as a six-year-old, I think God meets us wherever we are, yeah. at, at whatever stage of life. And uh, my, my life, there was a shifting that I have a hard time describing in language, but certainly happened as a six-year-old. And so was God used your dad. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. All right, now let's jump into the, the whole huh. thing. Jesus dies about 33 AD. Right. He rises from the dead, he goes back to heaven. From 33 AD to 100 AD, the first century, yep. what happened? Yeah, this was really the season in which we see Saul, the Pharisee, become the Apostle Paul after he's knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus. He's in the middle of persecuting Christians, and uh, Jesus knocks him off the horse and gives him a mission to head into the Gentile world. And so this, The non-Jewish world. Right, right. And that was so controversial at that time. I mean, so much of the book of Acts is trying to explain and deal with how the church is understanding why the Gentiles could possibly be part all of the, the chosen people. All the first Christians were Jewish. Absolutely. And so, so you're right. The first century so confused is... confused by this deal. And, and Paul now is heading into towns all over the Mediterranean world, okay. like places like Colossae and Thessalonica, where we get these letters of Paul. Okay. He's going to these cities, and he spends about two years at a whack in these cities, inviting people to follow Jesus, trains up the leadership of those cities. So there's sort of a church or a group of people following Jesus in that okay. city. Then Paul heads to other cities yeah. and does, does the same again. thing again. And maybe while he's in the next city, he gets a letter or a, a note from a messenger from the previous city saying, Paul, you can't believe what's happening here in, in Galatia or yeah. Corinth or whatever. And so right. Paul, I mean, travel's not easy All right. back in that time. So he sends letters back and that's yep. kind of the whole first century First century, century is the spread of the gospel Absolutely. throughout the Mediterranean. All right, from 200 to say 300, 
Yeah. Uh, there start to be some strange teachings in the church. Well, as the gospel spreads, and like we can even see, and I think it's, you can see it in today's age still, is there's a lot of different versions about who this Jesus is. The original apostles begin to die off. You're talking about second, third, fourth generation leadership and some different views, some different versions of Jesus start okay. taking shape. And some there's, false teaching. Oh, for sure. Things like Gnosticism and, and a what number was, of... In, the, in a nutshell, yeah. what is Gnosticism? Well, I think one of its primary sort of belief systems is that everybody has a divine spark inside of them. We all have a bit of God in us, not just image of God. Kind of but, new age. Yeah, actual God within us. And we have to somehow do away with all of the influences of the world around us so the full divine spark within us can be released. And we actually will become God at the end of the day. And Jesus was showing us how we could become God, so that's new at least age, according to this. New yeah. Age Oprah teaching, basically. Yeah, it really, you know, I, when I watch Oprah, uh, which isn't terribly often, but enough <laughs> to know that there is some similarities between yeah. the two, for sure. All right, so the heresies crop up. Yep. Now come the 300s and it really comes to a head. Explain who Arius was. Yeah, so we're talking about now a major theological figure here, and this is a significant moment in the life of the church because Arius, would have, there would have been a lot of questions about whether Jesus actually was God or whether Jesus was just a man who appeared to be like God. And there was a big split in the church around mm -hmm. some of this, and the church needed kind of one of the first times the church had to gather together mm -hmm. and say all of these different views about who this Jesus is, we better start having some councils now where we agree on what is orthodox about who this Jesus is. And we're gonna declare Jesus really was fully human yep. and fully God. This is the incarnation So stuff. 325 AD, all the bishops come together right. to a town in Turkey called Nicaea. Right, the Nicene Creed. And they come up with the Nicene Creed teaching there's one God and three persons, right. and Jesus is fully God and fully man. Yeah. And that settled it kind of, but not really. Why? Well, you know, it's funny back then because whatever is considered orthodox is just by those who had the most power at That's the time. Right. And so these other splinter branches maintain and continue themselves. Even you can, it's, it, to me, it's interesting. For many, it probably will cause them to mm -hmm. fall asleep. But I love tracing back through 1700 years and seeing, so where did this movement end up? Because mm -hmm. just because a creed was established yeah. in 325 in that area. The heretics still went on. Absolutely. And absolutely today yeah. it's called the Jehovah's Witnesses who deny that Jesus is God. It's fascinating. And, and so even though Nicaea uh, claimed the Trinity, uh, depending on who was in office, uh, as far as the emperor, it could kind of go back and forth. Yeah, it really could. And, and emperors, you know, when we get, and I know we'll talk uh, in the fourth century, uh, we are now, now. Yeah, in terms now. of when. What big thing happened yeah. in the history of the church in the, the 400s? So there was a, yeah, it was a titanic 300s. shift where the church had primarily been under persecution By in the, the Roman, Roman Empire. Yep. And uh, so this is the Colosseum, this is the martyrdom, this is uh, all of what's going on. They're running through the catacombs of Rome trying to escape the earthly powers. And Constantine was a, a Roman emperor who could kind of see the writing on the wall and he could see that the church continued to have power. So he decided to align himself with the church instead of trying to stamp it out because it just kept growing. Well, and he had a genuine conversion. Well, you know, there, yeah, there's there's some debate about uh, on the bridge whether he okay. really saw this this vision or if okay. he claimed to see it. And and I think most of history would suggest he did. It was okay. a genuine conversion. Especially, he waited till he was uh, almost dead to get baptized. Yeah, he did. And, <laughs> you know, but I, he was a shrewd politician too. So I think both, yes, his conversion was genuine, but he also understood that he could consolidate his power by aligning himself with Christianity and bring the different bishops from the Mediterranean world underneath sort of one influential figure, so that he, being himself. He called Nicaea, the, the, so we're talking the 300s still. Right. And then, and so now 
Christianity is not only legal right. after it's been illegal for 300 years, it becomes eventually the, the official religion. It does. It becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so while there still could be emperor worship in some of these other forms of all of this religious pluralism that's mm -hmm. going on, Christianity does become the main influence. Okay. And this is now where you start seeing the building of Rome and ultimately Vatican and all of that, okay. the seeds of which happen right at this moment. And in a, in a, when we're done going century by century, we're going to come back to... How is the church different if they're under persecution versus if they're in with the culture? That's a great question. We'll do that in a minute. Yeah. All right, let's keep going through the centuries. Now we're up to the, we'll say 400, Rome falls, the barbarians come in. Right. We enter what's called the Dark Ages where right. there's not order to society. What happens, we'll say, from 500 uh, to about 1000 AD? Yeah, this is the rise of monasticism. So this is where some of the Christian leadership sort of escaped out into the mountains and into the deserts. In and, and Ireland. Said, and yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and we need to preserve our faith. And so this is the era of the monks that one of their main jobs that they did generation by generation that we can be thankful for to this day is they really transcribed a lot of the biblical texts. Yep, they they, kept they, the Bible they alive. faithfully just went scroll to scroll to scroll and they kept the, this is all pre-printing press. Yep. It's not in the hands of people. Yep. So they faithfully preserved the biblical text during okay. that time. Yeah. And then a big thing happened in 10,000, uh, 1054. That was it, yeah. Ten, uh, uh, 1054, what happened? Yeah, it was, it was called the Great Schism. This is where the Western Church and the Eastern Church split into two. And there's a number of reasons why they split. This is sort of the first major church split Eastern that we Eastern Church called Orthodoxy. Orthodox, yeah. The Western Church called Catholicism. Correct. Why did they split? Yeah, it was primarily around the, the person of the Trinity, that being the Holy Spirit. Was the Holy Spirit just emanating from the love between the Father and the Son? Or was the Holy Spirit a distinct and third member of the Trinity? And there really was a difference. Uh, the fancy term was called filioque. And that really was uh, one of the per pervading characteristics right. of that controversy. But Wait a minute. I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The Orthodox Church believes like the Catholic and the Protestant churches in one God and three persons that the Holy Spirit is a person. Yeah, it, but, there, but there's more of a connection between sort of the love of the Father and the Son that brings forth the Spirit right. as opposed to... Yeah, am it's, I it's, right on this? That the Catholics were insisting the Holy Spirit comes through the Father and the Son, and the Orthodox were saying, well, he can come just through the Father. Right, right. right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, that does not seem like that big a deal to split the church, because they all still believe in the Trinity. Yeah, yeah, you know, but... Then there was icons. Do you want to explain that? Well, and certainly the Catholic Church, and I grew up in the Catholic Church, you uh -huh. know, I described the, the situation with my father, but uh, the icon and the imagery of the icons is such an important piece of the, the puzzle. For the Orthodoxy. Right, and so when you go to some of these churches and you see so many icons and figures that are there that can be worshipped alongside of God. It really is a substantial part of And the, of the Catholic deal. Church didn't like that. Yeah, you know, and it, but it's interesting because the Catholic Church still had a very significant role for icons in the church. It's okay. part of why the Protestants later on said, we have to stop okay. all of this icon okay. imagery. Yeah. So now you've got, in, in 1054, you've got the Western Church Catholicism and Orthodoxy breaking off. Right. They're still very similar in many ways. They are. But the Orthodox don't believe in purgatory or indulgences. Right. Then comes Shall we take off our hats? The 1500s to our beloved Martin Luther. Yeah. Catholic monk, 1520. Tell them what happened. Yeah, so this was a time, and you've already referenced it. I'm a Lutheran, it. by the way. Yeah, yeah, but this is, this is a time in which... Uh, the Catholic Church ended in a significant period of corruption at this point because there was so much money involved. And they They're were building St. Peter's Cathedral. They, uh, and and they, so they developed a doctrine called purgatory, which was a place in which people in the Catholic theology would go after they die before they get fully into heaven. You end up in a place called
place called purgatory, which you sort of refine, you're, you're refined for the different sins in your life, so you're better prepped for heaven. You're, you're burned. Exactly, and, yeah. and, uh, and so there was a sense in which um, if you had a loved one in purgatory, the Catholic Church was saying that you could pay what was called an indulgence to Rome to help fund everything, and the amount of money that you paid would help maybe reduce the amount of time a loved one would have in purgatory so they could get fully yep. into heaven. And Martin Luther saw this as one of the corruptions of the church that was more about power and money than anything else. Mm -hmm. So he banged all these theses mm -hmm. on the door yep. about how the church, had, mm -hmm. the Wittenberg Chapel, about how the church had to reform. And if I can say this as a Lutheran, uh, people say, well, why didn't Luther stay in the Catholic Church and try to change it? He wanted to. Yeah. He wanted to. The Pope put the ban of the empire on him. They could kill him if Absolutely. they found him. Yeah. So he, he didn't leave the Catholic Church. He was kicked out. Yeah, he was not interested in starting a new church. No. He really wanted to reform the church as is, which was part of the church's history. The church yeah. always is going through periods of Yep. Reformation. Yep. He wanted the same thing, but to your point, he so, was deemed a heretic. So now, after the 1500s, we have uh, the Protestant denominations right. uh, dividing on various things like what does communion mean? Should we baptize infants? All these things. Right. So we have divisions. And then let's talk about the centuries from the 1700s through up to today, which would be the mission of the world, the missionizing of the world. Explain, yeah. explain missions. Yeah, they're really, as the, as the world got more interconnected and travel became more possible, that uh, people would end up in, in countries that before and people wouldn't necessarily ever even have a chance to go to. So mm -hmm. even ship travel and eventually airplane travel allowed access to different countries. And mm -hmm. the Protestant church really focused a lot on a, on a missional strategy to bring the gospel to all the different corners of the world. And that's what we've seen so much of. And so like people, uh, in the 1800s, like uh, from England a lot, yeah, going sure. to India and, and evangelizing or going to Dr. Livingston, I presume, into yep. Africa. And so the missions, that was with that was with the Church of England. And then uh, there were a lot of missionaries coming out of the Lutheran Church in Norway. Yeah. However, now we need to send missionaries back to the Church in Norway. Church, the, I'm a <laughs> it's, Lutheran. It's fascinating. The Lutheran Church in Norway is so horribly heretical. Yeah. I mean, the, the uh, Bishop of Stockholm, Sweden, is a lesbian with a partner she wanted them to take the cross out of the some of this certain church right. because it might offend the muslims i mean the i'm a lutheran and it grieves me how radically uh, heretical yeah. the lutheran church has become in in uh, norway sweden denmark and germany now that's not saying there aren't some christians in those churches and some good pastors right. but the, the hierarchy is horribly liberal what, what okay so everybody we've kind of gone through 2000 years of church history the <laughs> last part of this interview we want to ask the question what happens when the church hold hands with with rome and you get this what we're talking about all this heretic versus is the church i'll just ask it this way yeah i heard a a, a living chinese pastor say uh, about china where they persecute them yeah. don't pray for the end of persecution in china persecution good for church yes. he said yes. so explain to me let's go way back to augustine excuse me to Constantine, and then we'll talk about today. What happened to the church when it became legal yeah. and it became the official religion? How did it change? Yeah, because prior to that moment, Tom, they, they, they were people who were, they called themselves followers of the way. And the way being simply the way of Jesus as part of a kingdom that exists, but it's not a kingdom of this world. And so they saw themselves as citizens, as a heavenly kingdom, regardless if they're in Rome or in any part of the world, they had an allegiance to a different kind of kingdom. And in following that out and, and sort of the way in which they did, it had a dramatic effect in those 
those first 300 years, people would come to watch the Christians get killed in the Colosseum, and they would come wanting blood, and they would leave so convinced by the witness that they saw in the Colosseum that more people would leave that Colosseum as believers than those who were killed, and Christianity exploded yep. under persecution under because persecution. of that. Yeah. And, and when, it then, when Constantine legalized it and it became the official religion of Rome, then it got kind of blended in with cultural and social power. And so sort of the, the you know, million dollar word of the morning, I suppose, would be it, it's syncretism. It's when the church you and the culture things. like blend together. So the church ends up taking on the values of the culture much more so. And the church became more concerned with social power and politics and, and making sure they could exert influence over society at a, as a whole from that standpoint, as opposed to living a way of life that would infect society. All right, let's, all right, let's move. So that happened back in the three or 400s. Right. And it was slower. Today, how, uh, let's contrast the Church of China yeah. with the Church in America. Yeah. What's the Church in China, which is being persecuted, or the Church in Iran or Iraq? Those areas are hard to be a Christian. You can lose your life. Right. What does the Church look like there versus what does it look like in America? Yeah, it's really similar, Tom, to what we just described from those first few centuries. It's people meeting in homes. It's people having to meet underground at times. They, uh, they are saying yes to a way of life, not because it is benefiting them in any kind of social way. They're saying yes to it because they have an allegiance to Jesus mm -hmm. and, and are walking out life in that way. So in all of these countries, there is the fear of persecution, of death at any given moment. And they are having to be relationally together, following Jesus and trying to shine a light in a very dark place at that point. But I, I once had a, a chance to talk to somebody who was sort of, he's the head of the Voice of the Martyrs. And he talked about what was going on in China, similar to what you just said. And he said that the church in China is not praying for an end of persecution, to your point. They want to, they're asking for prayers to stay faithful in the midst of the persecution because they want to continue to bear witness to the king in the midst of this time. They're not asking for social power. They're not asking for prosperity and for life to be good. They're asking to stay faithful in, this, in the witness that they have for this world. I will tell you, Peter, I don't know that I've ever prayed, and I don't think I have yeah. or ever will, Lord, bring persecution to America. Right. But... If God did and he brought persecution to the American church, maybe some of our liberal Protestant denominations like the Presbyterian Church USA, right. the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church, maybe they would stop enforcing lesbianism, transgenderism, abortion rights, preaching universalism that everybody saved. I mean, these churches are dying because right. a, a lot of the professors and, and pastors don't believe in hell anymore and you don't need Christ. Well, then close the doors of the church <laughs> and the doors are closing. Yeah. Th these denominations are shrinking. But if persecution came to the church in America, what do you think would happen to these these denominations? Yeah, you know, that boy, it winnows things out, doesn't it, Tom? I mean, it, persecution has the ability to reveal allegiances that we have. And uh, for those people that really are saying yes to following Jesus, then your life is really not your own. It's been bought with a price already. And, and to willingly and freely give it up for behalf of, on behalf of something bigger, persecution reveals who's willing to walk those things out. And I've had to ask myself that question. Yeah. And, and there's been a number, I, I would say this, the longer that I'm walking out this journey, the more single-minded the allegiance becomes. And that's not an easy, easy place to be. And yet, sort of God has this way of revealing the, the falsities of this world in, in contrast to the truth of his kingdom. And, and, it's and, fascinating to me. And Peter, I'm a Lutheran and it grieves me that the ELCA Lutheran Church is so easily giving up what people 
died for in the 1500s yeah. to embrace the LGBT movement, to embrace abortion rights. The ELCA Lutheran Church pays for abortions. And it just grieves me that we are so in sync with the culture. You can't tell the difference between the church and the culture in, in some right. denominations. Yeah, the, the relevance is always the key word that many churches use, right? They want to be relevant to the culture, but that relevance Tom tends to take on the form of looking like and, and, yeah. and bending to what the culture is doing so that people, when they come into the church, feel comfortable and the church then feels like they're remaining other six days of the week. Yeah. And so, and, and I would suggest relevance is that there's a power beyond our own by which we live and we follow a king who is beyond the realities of this world. Right. And that is relevant regardless of whether you're in China or Africa or a, you know, any place in this world, it's always relevant. And if you look just like the secular culture, right. something is wrong. And you're reminding me of, most people know who Bonhoeffer was. Right. During Hitler, he lost his life trying to kill Hitler. Christian pastor who, who stood up against Hitler. Most people don't know who Martin Niemöller was. Hmm. Niemöller did the same thing. He got in jail for opposing yeah. Hitler. And a, I think it was a parishioner, I'm not sure, but a friend of his was perturbed that Niemöller was taking a stand against Hitler in, in jail. So he goes to visit Niemöller in jail and he says, Dr. Pastor Niemöller, why are you here? And Niemöller said, friend, why aren't you here? Yeah, that's just and, I, and I think one of the problems is the reason the churches have become so polluted and uh, compromised is they don't want to suffer. Yeah. They want to look hip like everybody yep. else. Yeah. It's fascinating you say that because I, I had a chance to study some Christian theology in Asia mm -hmm. and some of the writers of Christian theology in Asia. Asia and they're always referring to Jesus as a suffering brother in the midst of trial and difficulty. That's mm -hmm. the primary theme of, of, of Asian Christian theology. Mm -hmm. When you look at Western Christian theology and American Christian theology, it is almost entirely absent, the invitation into suffering and trial and turmoil, even though that's all throughout the it's, biblical it, text. You know what it is in America? It's health and wealth it and is. Joel Osteen and, and the, the Copelands and how you can have yep. prosperity, prosperity. I mean, there's a church near my house called the Winner's Chapel. Yeah. It's all about you winning and prospering it's the and it's just sad yeah it is it's it's taking the prosperity notions of america that we are entitled to a life pursuing happiness and yep. prosperity and wealth and blending that in with the church and those are some of our biggest churches in america we love to talk about jesus as lord in american christian theology and Jesus is Lord, but we never talk about the invitation to suffering and trial and turmoil. If you just read that biblical text, yeah. it's all over the place. I mean, the whole prosperity thing, how much money did Jesus die with yeah. in his pocket? <laughs> how much money did the apostle Paul have when he was beheaded? Right. Zilch. Right. And it's a whole different world than what the Christianity in China. Well, and I think people, Tom, uh, walk away from the faith because they expect that God is there to bring them the prosperity that their hearts desire. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly when that doesn't go that way, yeah. God is not faithful, yeah. I didn't sign up for this, and, and so when you talk about persecution, it does have that winnowing effect and so, for understandable so reasons. So we, ne we need to agree from the outset. I mean, when I, when I have someone pray to receive Christ now, I, I stop and I do something I didn't used to do. I said, you need to know if you mean this prayer and accept Christ, it might cost you your life. Right. You might really suffer for doing this. Are you willing? I like to put it in them so that they can think about this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when Jesus invited those first 12 to follow him, you know, the, give their life to me and, and follow me, uh, the result for all of them was either it was death uh, through martyrdom or John was exiled on mm -hmm. the island of Patmos. So every one of the first followers of Jesus said, yes, I will follow you. I will convert and turn my ways and follow. And for all of them, it ended badly. And I want people to understand this, the fact that Everybody but John, and of course Judas killed himself, right, right. but all of the apostles were martyred. 
Yeah. And you know, people need to hear this. You don't die for something you know you made up. That's exactly it. And why did the apostles die if it wasn't true? Right. If, if, you, if you and I are, are Peter and John, and look, let's make up the resurrection and spread it as a, as a lie. Well, when, the, when they put the knife to our throat, we're going to say, you're right, we made it up. Yep. They never did that. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is one of the best uh, sort of examples of how you can argue for the truth of the faith is mm -hmm. because of the way that life ended. I mean, this was not a story that they signed up for that was happily ever after in this world. It was happily ever after, but it required an allegiance to a different kind yep. of world and a different kind of kingdom. Right. Yep, good, Peter. Well, everybody, thank you, Peter, so much yeah, for being with us. Yeah, great to be here with, with you. And Peter is on the radio. Tell us quickly Yeah, about I'm that. a part of the Faith Radio Network, so you can find me there on uh, any part of the dial. How do they go? How do they go to the website? Or yeah, whatever? probably myfaithradio.com. Myfaithradio.com. He's on the radio. We've been on together once, and uh, maybe again. <laughs> we'll see. But we've got two minutes. So, you know, uh, this has been Church History in a Half an Hour. And I would highly recommend, if you've never read one volume on church history, yeah. there's a great book called A History of the Christian Church by Williston Walker. It's been around forever, but it's a good summary. And you need to know about this stuff so that you're, you know, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. So uh, <laughs> thanks, Peter, for, for what you've done. We've got a, uh, about a minute or so left, and we'll do one more thing. This is called plug time. Yeah, know? this is it. By uh, the way, I like your haircut. You know what? You and I, this is, yeah. this is a sign of spiritual yeah, yes. maturity. And there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, would you go to pastorstudy.org, two S's. You can watch all of our TV shows there. If you have a friend that needs to see this show, pastorstudy.org. They're all for free at our website. We thank you for praying for us. We've been nationally on TV now for eight years, and it's only through your God's grace, of course, but your prayers and giving. And if the Lord nudges you to do that, uh, there's going to be an address at the end. And, and again, our website at pastorstudy.org, people contribute that way too. And we've got a minute left, Peter, and I don't yeah. want to waste a minute because sure. we pay for this airtime. Let's time. do it. So, Peter, you're at the University of Northwestern here in the Twin Cities. I am. And I will tell you, that's one of the few colleges that I wholeheartedly recommend students to go to. I can't tell them to go to our liberal ELCA colleges. Stay away from Gustavus Adolphus, St. Olaf, uh, Augsburg, Concordia Moorhead. Don't go there. You'll get all kinds of heretical teaching. You go to this Baptist-type school called the University of Northwestern <laughs> in St. Paul, you'll get good biblical teaching. Except for a baptism and the Lord's Supper, they believe just like Martin Luther did. And, and, and we do have... 30, just 30 seconds. Yeah. Is, is it a Baptist school or is it just non It's considered non-denominational, okay. but it would be pretty consistent with a lot it of the would. traditional Baptist And Billy teaching. Graham helped start that school. Absolutely. The Billy Graham Center is exactly yeah. where we do a lot yeah. of our work. So, And that's where people in the Rollin Nation don't know about KTIS Radio, but that's where right. they're, they're located. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's an option if you want to. Uh, do you have a website? I don't. I'm just okay. going to go to the University of Northwestern okay. St. Paul. You'll find me there. So. Good, everybody. Well, we've used up the time. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Pastor's Study. Thank you for watching The Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? you may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by The Pastor Study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, 
pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.